Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And we're back this week. Sorry for missing last time, but you know, things happen. And we are here with number 61 AFI's top 100 list of American films, 1941's Sullivan's Travels. Sullivan's Travels. It's about Sullivan and he travels there. Did your plot synopsis for you, Ethan. Thank you. Perfect. Let's get to the uh, the pivotal scene. Do it. Uh, we, we should probably give an actual plot synopsis. <laughs> okay. Um, so here we go. Sullivan's Travels is the story of, you guessed it, Sullivan. John L. Sullivan, a privileged Hollywood director of shallow comedies who wants to shift into a more serious role. He tries to convince his bosses to let him make... Oh, brother, where art thou? A realistic portrayal of the suffering of the poor, but they balk at his proposal. The bosses argue that Sullivan has not seen enough hardship in his own life, prompting him then to pose as a tramp and try to experience the world through a lens of poverty. Most everyone he knows tries to stop him, and his bosses eventually see his experiment as a publicity stunt where they can make money. When he embarks on his journey, the production company follows closely in a large bus. Sullivan tries to lose them and eventually meets the girl. She doesn't have a name. She's just the girl. At a diner after accidentally hitchhiking back to Hollywood. She buys him breakfast and he pays her back by borrowing, quote unquote, a car from his friend, quote unquote. It's his car and he's just getting it. After he's arrested for Grand Theft Auto because he forgets to leave a note that he borrowed his car, and by borrowed I mean just took, Uh, His butlers bail him out. The girl, realizing who he is at this point, is dismayed, but Sullivan eventually agrees to bring her along with him on the second round of his quote-unquote experiment. They live a life of poverty, and when Sullivan returns to Hollywood, his travels are highly publicized. He reveals to the girl that he's unhappily married when she makes an advance on him, uh, much to her chagrin. His marriage was meant to cut his taxes, but it ends up costing him double what he would have paid. After deciding to take one more jaunt as a homeless man, passing out money to the impoverished, Sullivan is robbed and stuffed in a rail car. The robber is run down by a train, and because he stole Sullivan's shoes, which contain ID, he's mistakenly identified as Sullivan. Newspapers report him dead, his wife immediately remarries, and Sullivan eventually awakens in a rail yard, groggy and out of sorts, and he attacks a railroad worker who accosts him. His repeated head injuries leave him unsure of his identity, and he's sentenced to six years hard labor. He eventually realizes who he is, but is denied access to the mail or the phone in the work camp. Later, Sullivan and the other prisoners go to a southern black church service, where, after the service, a Disney cartoon is shown. The cartoon makes all the prisoners laugh, and Sullivan has a revelation that comedy is important to those who suffer. After seeing his death reported in the paper, Sullivan claims that he killed himself in order to get his picture in the newspapers. That is, he, who no one thinks is Sullivan, says that he killed Sullivan so that he can get his picture in the paper. The stories are read by his friends and family, and they come and save him. The production company, of course, finally agrees to let him make Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? But Sullivan refuses, as he has discovered that comedy is more useful than documentary to those less fortunate. He's also thinking ahead and believing he's going to be granted a divorce 
from his wife because yes. otherwise it's bigamy and that's worse than having the divorce in 1941's culture. And we know it's in 1941 as well because when we have the grave of John Sullivan, mm-hmm. it says 1909-1941. So we know that like we're still in the actual time of this film itself. And then he says, well, I'm free now. Or the girl says, well, you're free. And he said, well, I hope to be you know, not for very long. Not so for very long. The implication is that they are going to get married as well. But was he dressed as a homeless person again when he passes out the money, the $5 bills, the $1,000 worth of $5 bills? Yeah, I think he was. Okay. Think- yeah, that makes sense. I just, for whatever reason, thought like, Oh, he's going back, and this is his tour to white savior, and he's passing out all of the money. Well, that sequence actually is is rather confusing, um, just because of the way it's cut, mm-hmm. and so it was confusing to me as to who everybody was throughout that part. Um, but he has to be in that garb because he goes alone. If he was going on a white savior tour. A more, I guess, a more ostentatious white savior tour, um, he would have had someone with him. Right. right. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So glad we got that cleared up. I guess we should get the pivotal scene out of the way quickly. What because have you chosen, it's, Matt? Well, it's highly unorthodox. So I want everyone <laughs> to brace themselves in their seats or if you're in your car driving, hold that steering wheel tight. Make sure you don't make any sudden turns or movements. And I chose a scene that had no dialogue in it. Ah, I think I know what you've chosen. Because most of this film, in its most pivotal scenes, has no dialogue. Yeah. And so the one I picked is where he's, he and the girl, which did not notice until you said it, that she doesn't actually have a name. Yeah. I think I saw a subtitle that said the girl. I was like, oh, I wonder why it didn't use her name. Not knowing. I was just calling her Veronica the whole time, which is right, her actress. actual name, the actress. And I chose the scene where he and the girl are seeing poverty the for montage, the first time. Yeah. The montage of what it's actually like to be in really just a day in the life. Because let's be honest, when they go out there, they're only out there for stretches of two days at most. They really don't deal with poverty in the same no, way. No, they don't. So they're at the forced showers and cleanings that they so they can get a fresh meal, and they have to go to church, right? Obviously, some religious organization. Yeah, the mission, this on. yeah, these yeah. city missions. They have to sleep in a heap on the floor. John gets his shoes stolen by apparently the same guy that is going to yeah. be the one that attempts his murder later. Or maybe he's not attempting murder. Maybe it's just he is, you know, knocking John out to take some money. Yeah, he wants that cash. I mean, you've you got to think about it this way just before we jump into this pivotal scene because I quite often use a, a website that has an inflation calculator. Um, and I looked, and there's the scene when they're in Las Vegas and they stop and they can't afford breakfast because they've spent their last dime and the guy gives them free breakfast, and then they go in and give him, you know, a, a hundred bucks or whatever it is. Um, the amount of money they give that man at the uh, the diner is equivalent to roughly fifteen hundred dollars in today's wow. money. I didn't, I missed exactly how many dollars in five dollar bills he takes out to go pass out to people. It's one thousand, a thousand dollars. So let's see, one thousand dollars. 
1941. In 2017 money, he takes out about $17,000. Jeez. And a $5 bill in 1941 is, in 2017 money, about $85. So when he gives her two $5 bills, he's given her a good 200 bucks, basically. Yeah. So that's a lot of money. This dude is obscenely wealthy. We know that from his home and yes. his car and the fact he has a butler and a valet mm. and that he's got this wife for tax benefits only. He doesn't even see her. He just writes her checks and sends them to her effectively. Right. Which is like $12,000 he's giving her. So if you follow that inflation, it's a chunk of change. It's a year's worth of money for, well, someone who is in academics, let's say. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm actually just going to talk about this pivotal scene because we really I'm not going to jump into it because what am I going to show you? Just the soundtrack, which I don't think is all that good anyway. Well, why don't we play? Why don't we play your narration over the soundtrack? Okay, let's do it. Sullivan and the girl enter into a homeless camp full of dejected, horribly filthy, and saddened homeless people. They walk around, see people in really abject poverty and deplorable conditions until they try to settle down for the night and are awoken by bedbugs. They later try to find some food in a trash can and the girl makes just the worst face and Sullivan takes her by the hand and together they rush back off to their privileged, spotless, neat, white in both sense of the term, hotel room. Okay, so as I so wonderfully described to us <laughs> just there, we're actually getting a look at the have-nots in this yeah. film. And I really do think this acts as a pivot for the film because it's where stuff actually starts to change. Yeah. And we've left that madcap humor behind us. I was thinking of this film as just a worse bringing up baby for the longest time until this scene happens and everything that follows after it. It starts to get a little more dark, a little more real. Wait, first of all, wait, did you just say worse bringing up baby? So you think that this film is worse than bringing up baby? I did before I saw that scene. I, listen, let me tell you this, Matt. From the moment this film began, well, actually, they do that hokey opening where a hand opens a book that was dumb but from the moment the characters start talking i was like oh this is gonna be really good i loved every second of this film every single second i loved it i didn't think it was bad i just thought it wasn't as good as what bringing it baby was doing oh i, think I it's better than bringing it baby think our lead is less charismatic then the lead and bringing it baby i think well i i think veronica lake does a pretty good job but veronica lake's my new girlfriend I well mean, you've got so I many of those these days i know i thought i'd just add her to the list <laughs> i think she's probably dead she's not treated in the best way in most of this film she's just an object to be discovered or used or paid for or taken care of and she has no autonomy at all really well I, you know, I would actually kind of disagree a little bit. I think that that first scene where she's in the diner um, and and she says all the things that she says about, you know, she's like, it's nice to buy a man a meal because I don't have to f pretend to be interested in what he's saying. And then she goes on that whole long thing. Um, I think at least in that scene, 
she does have a little bit of agency and and she straight up lays it out for you in terms that are not alien to us in in the cultural moment of 2018 well i think showing that moment is really just highlighting how little agency has in the rest of her operations it's nice to buy a, a man dinner because i don't have to say oh isn't that nice oh i never and is that your hand there mr whatever name she makes up and so it's yeah. really just pointing to the fact that like man she is not in a good way with trying to become an actress yeah i you know what and you might i think you might be right i think that that you know she does shortly after that scene um aside from you know a lot of her dialogue i think at least in the earlier part of the film you know she's she goes pretty toe to toe with him in a way that i was really surprised um at for a film from 1941 we've certainly seen films in this list and in our uh patreon episodes where women do not go toe to toe i mean they're token at best mm-hmm. um and so i do think she holds her own in a way which is but she doesn't have a name, Ethan. I know. I know. I, I agree with you. I mean, that in and of itself is a huge problem. Um, and there is, you know, some sexualization stuff that... But but I think, again, in the cultural moment of 1941, I think they do some things that are... I don't want to go so far as to say groundbreaking, but I want to say that are... I guess the easiest way to say it is surprising as a 2018 viewer. I agree, and I want to talk about a few of those things briefly, if I could, because yes. this film opens after the introductory stuff of, let's show you the publishing and the fact that this is tile cars and all that <laughs> stuff, opens on this like dramatic scene on top of a train, yes. and then we very quickly realize that that's a film that Sullivan is trying to sell, or an idea he's trying to pitch. Yes, about, the film within a film. Yeah, so it's this meta-fictional start to the film in 1941 i thought that was really cool there are several other things that they mention in the film itself saying like you know i think my part has been played my time is up my act has come to a close there's all sorts of these meta fictional or meta film ideas and thoughts that sullivan is having as a director so that's a really interesting thing that happens i think that i thought that's non-trivial you know that's pretty cool I, this is part of the reason that I really dug this film. And and from the moment when we saw the end title, like we get the credits at the beginning and then we get that fight on the train. Um, and at that point, again, I was kind of like, okay, it's this is all right. It's some sort of standard, whatever. But the, the end title comes up. We're barely 10 minutes into the film and the, the end comes up. And I actually stopped the film and rewound it because I was like, wait a second, hold on. Did I, did my PlayStation mess up? What's, what is this? And then it sunk in. I was like, this film out the door is playing with your expectations and it works in a really cool way. And then to hear those, the executives talk. And like you said, there are all these moments where they're, there are things that are about film it's set in 1941 very clearly from the beginning because they talk about the date they talk about the dates of his other films it's such an interesting way of going about this that a lot of films a lot of modern films you know don't even begin to 
touch. Or if they do, they do it in some sort of like very hands-off, fictionally kind of way. Or they just break fourth wall and they think that's sufficient to yeah. sense. This has a really sophisticated way of of playing with the audience expectations, the way it deals with, like you said, the fourth wall, because it doesn't quite break it in, a, in an arrested development sort of way or, or, or what have you, right? It, it's not Jim from the office making faces at the camera. It's, it's more subtle and more um, sophisticated than that, which I really loved. And, and for 1941, hell, man, that's some cool stuff. And I agree with that. I think it was all maybe more subdued until the back half of the film, and that's when I really started to appreciate it. So I didn't yeah. really appreciate it as much at the beginning. And I also thought I'm just maybe a little tired of Madcap. And because I had yeah. bringing up baby on, on the mind, I was just like, what am I getting extra? And so maybe I wasn't seeing it as much. And I think the first initial scenes of, well, I'm going to go out there and be a homeless person. They say tramp, which you know, I feel like that's derogatory and pejorative. So we can maybe not yes, use that term I, today. It, yeah, exactly. When I use that in the thing, I, I actually hemmed and hawed over whether I needed to add scare quotes. And I didn't for the for the for the uh, synopsis but yeah i think it it does feel derogative he's literally running away from people this like retinue of cooks and reporters and doctors to follow after him he escapes mm-hmm. with this 13 year old boy in a fake military vehicle that he's rigged together because he wants to train to be some kind of tank driver and it's all very madcap and i'm just bored or what i don't know and then when he meets the girl, it starts to like, okay, I get what's going on here. But it just mm-hmm. seemed like the plot kind of meandered in the beginning. Like it just really yeah. didn't know what it wanted to do until they went off on that second excursion. And I call them excursions because they're really not out there for significant periods of time. Right. It seems to be days at best, like you pointed out. And actually, I will say that particularly the that scene you just described with the, where he tries to run away from the bus in the kid's car... Um, and that the whole, like, people are falling over in the car and all that sort of thing. As much as I'm normally with you and I don't much care for the, the too madcap stuff, it so um, broke my expectations that, like, immediately there's this scene that was just ridiculous. I mean, I was laughing. I laughed out loud at that scene quite a bit. Um, there was the uncomfortable stuff with the cook that felt minstrelly that I didn't really like, but most of the rest of it, I, I mean, I laughed out loud. Um, and, and I think you're right though. I think what the film does is it sets up, again, it plays with expectations. It sets up a really madcap style of, I mean, there's almost, except for those scenes that you pointed out later that are, uh, that don't have a whole lot of dialogue. The scenes with dialogue, especially near the beginning, are bam, 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 bam. There is not a lot of silence. I mean, somebody says something and there are three people with lines to quip back at them. Right, as is the style, which I like that style too. I think it's a cool style. It's something I really like in the stuff I view even today in 2018. But, so Ethan, we're kind of running a little bit long in our discussion we here. Are. We are. I do want to turn us to what I would take to be probably the centrally important thing certainly to the plot but also to the film as a whole it starts back with that line that sullivan says to the girl in the car film is the greatest educational media the world has ever known 
Mm-hmm. And when he has his own personal revelation about comedy while watching Mickey Mouse in a black church in 1941, pressed in hard labor, such a crazy mm-hmm. experience. He's laughing. He asks the guy next to him, am I laughing? And he just keeps laughing at this Mickey Mouse mm-hmm. cartoon. And he realizes, like you say in your synopsis, that the suffering need comedy. And he's instead, he's wanting to, up to this point, put depictions of suffering into the world and instead he thinks well i can actually contribute something that's positive which you know maybe i don't agree entirely with the ethics of that statement that you know writing something or depicting something that is violent or suffering or negative i don't think that necessarily does a disservice to mm-hmm. the world but you know it has a it has a vision and i think it sees it through and i thought that was incredible that he has this complete change that is marked all the way back to the beginning so that just shows good structure in that regard i do think it kind of takes 30 minutes for the film to get started in its own way though yeah i you know in in that vein i think that i went into this film assuming it would be essentially a picaresque film where the main character stays static has a lot of experiences and then is done um and we actually don't get that at the end he does have this big revelation and i i've thought a a little bit and and throughout the viewing i've thought a little bit about like this struggle between a sort of exploitative documentary style film which is what he wants to make and the sort of low art of comedy or at least what he perceives as the low art of comedy and its role and and i think it does take a nuanced view of these two genres, if, albeit at the end, perhaps a little ham-fisted or, 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 or not, you know, as, as sophisticated or modern, I guess, as we would understand now, but it's, the film struggles with that. The film struggles with, like, is it, is it at the end of the day worth the work, and, and does it give us enough sort of social justice or whatever by, just filming the poor who are those films for i mean at the start of the film though the the bosses the executives say the only people that want to see that are rich are rich people the mm-hmm. poor people don't need to see more poor people that's not what they need now i don't know that i necessarily agree with that but there is something to be said like this film points out that you know comedy has a role and escapism has a role um for for those who suffer i will also say that when he's seeing the faces of people that are going to be impressed upon by his films these comedy films mm-hmm. who he's envisioning helping they are the destitute they are the poor and their children as well so it is more of a democratization of film is what he's arguing for yeah. however i will say the issue i have with this is that the film also has him work his way free due to his wealth and his standing socially yes from his just punishment because he definitely assaulted that train yard boss with a rock yeah he picked up a rock and punched the shit out of that dude um yeah i think the the film looking at it from a 2018 lens there are a lot of problems like that and this idea that you know that scene where he's in the church and they're watching the film it's almost grotesque in watching these the 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 impoverished people laugh at it and the and the prisoners or whatever and that 
feels like a like a uh, infantilization of of the poor um, as well. So I th- I think this film really does walk a weird line and and falls one way or the other throughout. Um, and it's a short film; it's only an hour and a half. So there's not enough time in it really to. I don't know, to really chew on some of these issues or unpack them. Um, so it presents a lot of things that are problematic, but at the same time it does present a lot of things that I think do good and raise good questions. Um, and and it's fun so for what Ethan, it's worth. I think you are right in that it might be doing some infantilization there, but contrast this to the scene where he goes to the film at the beginning of the movie Mm-hmm. with the widow and the servant of the house and she's really trying to get into his pants and he's at the film and he's not having fun at all right everything's right. annoying him he's being sexually put upon and <laughs> it's a very different experience right so i think we see a dynamic sullivan at the end of the film with that in mind so i do think we're supposed to see that poverty film session as perhaps more wholesome we've also got yeah. this idea of the pastor telling all of his congregation to be one with the prisoners not to look yeah. down on them or to distance themselves from them or feel any way different than them and so you do see i think what is i'd like to call anyway the dem- democratization of film for this at least film viewership yeah. certainly what solvin's angle is i think it's also what the film is putting vicariously through him in this so Ethan, it has just occurred to me we have not read thesis statements, and we are very far <laughs> into this episode. Yeah. So why don't you say we knock those out real quick and then turn to our three questions? Sure. Um, do you want to start or do you want me to? Why don't you go ahead and take it? All right. Um, and this may have changed now that we've talked about it a little bit, but I, I really think that Sullivan's Travels is overall a journey of self-discovery uh, and a problematic one at that for in its own right, um, where you get this essentially privileged white man um, who learns that documenting the poor in film can very easily be essentially voyeurism. Um, and, and he begins to see the problem with that. And through his experience of poverty, again, his perhaps problematic experience of, pro- of poverty, he realizes that art doesn't always need to be serious. It doesn't always need to be exploitative. Um, and he finds a place for what we might call lowbrow comedy and that lowbrow comedy or just comedy in general has social merits it has cultural capital that is useful um so i think that this film in a lot of ways becomes a meditation on art and what art means and what art does and i don't know that it gives us a final strong word on it i think it bounces around a little bit but it does really lean towards the fact that comedy at the very least has has a merit and that it it is worth making and it is worth watching i agree with that sentiment and my thesis is really just more of a generalized one about the film itself but i say while this film is somewhat misled by the politics of its time I think it actually develops a fairly nuanced view of the haves and have nots Mm -hmm. in spite of its apparent madcap genre. So like we mentioned earlier, I think this democratization is very important because it's trying to 
dissolve somewhat that line between the have and have nots, at least in the idea that here is a film for all people as opposed mm-hmm. to simply rich people. And there's value in it for both kinds of people. And there's certainly issue with how we represent some of the homeless throughout the film. It's that same guy that steals his shoes that leads to the mistaken identity and death, but also that this guy is given $5 and his thought is I should go rob this guy. And so it just shows like a problematic thing about, well, should you distrust the homeless? Because once you give them a taste, they're going to want more and you can Mm -hmm. kind of get to that, you know, rich fear of, dirty urchins coming to tear down your walls or something like that. Right. I mean, again, yeah, I'm, I'm totally with you. This film is so interesting because it does do good things, but at the same time, that is very clearly balanced with some, again, problematic portrayals and ideas you know, there are problems with it, but I think that at the end of the day, the problems with this film are, in general, outshined by the things it does well, especially in its cultural context. And on top of this, we've got to remember, this film came out, um, at least according to what I saw on Wikipedia, the uh, greatest bit of, uh, the greatest collection of information accurate information on earth <laughs> are they um, paying you to say this i don't understand uh, right <laughs> anyway um you know wikipedia said that this came out i think december 5th and uh two days before uh, pearl harbor yes holy so crap we've got to remember too that this is this film comes at a time i mean it, i started i looked this up as as it began and i was like holy shit it's set in 41 it comes out in 41 it's probably mostly made in 41 you know right before pearl harbor happens um so this idea when he talks about the world is is a, is in uh, you know turmoil and blah 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 i mean it really is you know we th- this is a debate worth having in the late part of 1941. And I think it's important to note that this is part of an America that is still very much in depression. It won't really be lifted bodily out of it until the war effort really starts post Pearl Harbor. And so we are seeing the, I think they call it the hobo trail about Mm -hmm. these men leaving to try to, so their families could, pretty much beyond what amounted to welfare because the the man had left and they would go try to find work. So he's living on that road, that trail basically. And that's why you have so many of these individuals, these homeless individuals, all men mostly, or no, I think they're almost all exclusively men in, in that first scene mm-hmm. jumping onto the, the rails because they're literally riding the rails. And wow, that just, it really puts this in a whole different context. Also puts to the test, the film's theory of everyone can use comedy because it's putting something happy into the world as opposed to more suffering two days right. before all pearl harbor happens that's incredible there there is you know when 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 they talk about the suffering that's happening in the world you know that's not put on for the film i mean that is like you said we're the, the depression is still very alive in people's experiences in america there is rampant war in europe and it's i mean it's on our doorstep like it's 
if not on the doorstep, it's, you know, they're on the sidewalk in front of the house. You know what I mean? Like, it's coming. Um, and so I think this film does the best it can with the moment it's in. I think it's a great... And, and it's very specifically set in 41. I mean, it, it goes out of its way to let you know that it is set right now. Um which I think is really interesting. So it is trying to do so much, and I think it does it fairly well. Even its portrayal of race. Um, I, I read that the um, it may have been the NAACP, um, the head of it, or some you know somebody from an, from that organization, or or a prominent um, African American leader or something. I don't I don't remember off the top of my head. Actually, you know, lauded this film and and thanked them for such a honest and um i don't know uh fair fair portrayal of black people i mean aside from the cook which i do think does get into minstrel territory um it's maybe not explicitly minstrel but it gets uncomfortably close um that church scene is there it's not a stereotype in the way that you know other films even today treat black people right like these are these are a, a group of people that invite the prisoners in you know that it, it doesn't show them dancing around and you know saying massa massa right like these are people that go to church that are you know in general well dressed you know it shows it shows black people as humans which in 1941 is Asking a, a lot, bit, I guess. Yeah, because you know, and, and again, I, I'm not sitting here to say that to pat myself on the back or to pat white people on the back or this film on the back, but I think that it does a fair job um, when it didn't have to, right? Especially in 1941, they could have easily fallen into minstrelsy and terribleness, and and the black church is where the pivot of the movie happens. The important thing happens because the the you know of the kindness of black people that are not portrayed as caricatures or stereotypes so ethan do you care about this film yeah absolutely i think we do i think that this film uh for for all the reasons we've set out it's meta nature it's um it's criticism of the way we think about poverty the way we think about you know american culture the way we think about black people the way we think about you know suffering um, and the way it does it in a, in its in its moment, it forces itself into its moment. I think we do care about this film. And I think all the reasons you enumerate are also an answer to our second question, which is what do we owe to this film? Yeah. And I think very much this meta narrative, this meta fictional aspects, this meditation on art, this treatment of race. You know, they like we mentioned earlier, they could have gotten away being worse to black people, but they did better i won't say they said they did good or something right. but i think they they did better and i think that's important in addition to a number of other things you've already discussed but you know they they do drop the ball in a few places and certainly we owe this idea maybe as further as the the madcap comedy but i think this is something that that does more with it yes perhaps more like the way some comedies today Certainly not of the last decade of Adam Adam Sandler variety <laughs> or or those kinds of things. But I think they kind of let you 
blend the genre a bit between comedy and you know dealing with serious issues yeah i i i think you're right i think this film does a very good job of setting the stage for other comedies to do good things to both be funny but have a distinct social justice aspect to it a distinct um argument about the way we treat people um that are less off than others right it again it's by no means a perfect film and by no means does it do any of this perfectly but it does i think set the stage for other films to to do to to try this and to maybe do it better um and it does it in such a way that isn't gimmicky and that isn't just there to get a laugh most of the time which is again a pretty surprising for a film from 1941 you know we we think of this it's a different time it's a different time and this film feels thoroughly modern and then that would make our final question does this film hold up well yeah i look at me i just lead into the damn questions but i think it does in a lot of ways not every way but i think it does so many really interesting things that i think many modern films fuck up you know, there are a lot of bad comedies out there that try to do some of the things that this is doing and end up being exploitative or or voy- or voyeurism um, or offensive and classist and racist and whatever. And I think that this film tries its damnedest to keep its head above water and do some good things. It doesn't do it perfectly and it doesn't do it right the entire way. But it tries, and it succeeds in many moments. And I would second that and say this film succeeds and holds up as perhaps a piece of art while maybe not quite making it as a piece of social art, maybe, right? Maybe social ethics and morality maybe is somewhat suspect in here for all the reasons we mentioned before. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that like this is not a bastion of social justice. However, it dips its toes and it does so fairly well a good portion of the time. And that'll be it for us this week, guys. <laughs> we uh, had a lot to say. Yes. And boy, did we say it. But we want to let you know we'll be back on Patreon next week. And then two weeks, we'll return a little film called Duck Soup. Duck Soup. Ooh, another Marx Brothers film. Yep. Second time, we're going to be returning to the Marx Brothers. But until then, I've been Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. Oh, spoilers, where art thou? There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight. And that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast. You can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If 
you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. Spoilers.